This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. By the book on BFM 89.9. Hello, everybody. You're listening to By the Book with Sharmila Ganesan. And as always, my fellow traveler into the past, Lee Chui Lin. Hello. So, our discussion today was inspired by a book that we recently book clubbed and loved and loved The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida by Shehan Karnatilaka. And we were struck by the fact that it essentially delves into Sri Lanka's past and the civil war and references real personalities, um, some with their real names, others fictionalized, uh, including uh, a very young Mahinda Rajapakshe. And so we thought it would be interesting to talk about other books that have done this, uh, I fictionalized, but still used very real historical figures in their narratives. Just to say up front that I think today is probably going to be a healthy mix of recommendations, but then also some problem statements that let's discuss as a group, because I think that right about historical figures um, and typically for both of us there's not a lot of non-fiction in here you would think that this is going to be the time that this show but, no, but that would actually negate the almost the interesting premise of the show, right? We would say that, wouldn't we? Uh, yes, we would. <laughs> We've know. never kept to our resolution to read more nonfiction. Hey, we're going to book club Prince Harry soon. <laughs> Spare. <laughs> I think that counts. But like you said, the interesting part of discussing writing about historical figures is in exploring what works, what doesn't, what's ethical, what isn't, what interests us as modern readers, what doesn't. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of that that I expect to go on. Maybe the best place to start is actually with a couple of examples. So maybe we could kick things off with personal favourites or suggestions. Do you want to start things off? Okay, I'm going to be a, a bit of a repeaty cliche at this point because I'm going to be discussing two authors that I've raved about uh, on the show quite a bit. So starting off with Hilary Mantle, who sadly passed away recently. And I have always enjoyed her books, but I was particularly taken by her Wolf Hall trilogy which, of course, explore Thomas Cromwell. Uh, not the most romantic of heroes, certainly not the most even um, upright of people, <laughs> but it explores Thomas Cromwell in King Henry's court. And so because of that, there's a... I don't know, there's a specificity to looking at this man that history has not remembered particularly kindly, um, examining his motivations, looking at the way his specific machinations affected the entire court, the way he um, brought women to court who, who died, who he knew may die, who he engineered the deaths of, um, as he tried to engineer similarly his way upwards, although eventually it did also lead to the guillotine. And so I think that kind of high drama through the lens of a complicated character's great, it also means, um, and I'm not so much interested weirdly in talking about Thomas Cromwell this time around, but I think we all, uh, or many readers of historical fiction or many in people interested in history, have a very specific visual perception of what King Henry looks like. Yes. And of the wives and of the tempers and of the food and the eventual, you know, rotting leg and all the rest of it. But the beauty of intimate historical figure writing or writing intimately about historical figures is that now not only do I have a picture of um, what Henry looks like based on his portraits, um, but in some ways the Henry, the King Henry of my head is the Hillary Mantle King Henry. 
So I've never read Wolf Hall. I've always wanted to. It's a big ask. Um, yeah, I've just been intimidated by the size of not just each individual novel, but then the eventual trilogy. But I've really always wanted to, and primarily for exactly the reason that you said, actually, this period of English uh, history has been fictionalized a lot, whether in books or in cinema. King Henry is famously dramatic to write about. Well, yeah, um, I mean, for yeah. obvious reasons. And people like Anne Boleyn pop up in all sorts of uh, historical fiction. But Thomas Cromwell, though, is a really interesting one because, like you said, not the most obvious person to pick as a point of view character. Not the most charismatic yes. um, or not... Uh, history doesn't remember him as the most charismatic. Uh, before I briefly mention my next pick, though, because um, they're linked, I wanted to ask you, maybe just to start us off as well, when you read about historical figures, what do you do? Do you look for Easter eggs if they're people you know about or do you then go out and um, research it after? Like, like, which way do you go? It really depends who they are. If they are people that I really know about very well, um, as some of the examples that I'll bring up later are, then I do tend to start looking for Easter eggs, right? Because I'm like, ooh, I wonder if they're going to reference that episode. But usually I tend to be the kind of person who likes to sit in the space of the book first yeah, um, And then when it's all done, then I go and Google. So for instance, Anne Hathaway uh, in Maggie O'Farrell's Hamnet. Um, Who was going to be the yeah, one I talked about, yeah. Uh, which you recommended to me and is such a good read. Uh, we actually reviewed it in an episode, so if you want to look that up. I was so tempted to pause at every chapter and go research. But I also didn't want to because sometimes the... The fictional world that the book has created is so interesting that you don't want to break it by allowing reality to get in the way. Particularly in the case of Hamnet because of the way that she imagines a very strong, a very specific, a very fascinating version of Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Um, so you gifted me for Christmas uh, Maggie O'Farrell's The Marriage Portrait, which tells the story of a young Duchess Lucrezia uh, who marries into another duchy. And, you know, anyways, she died young. And history is uncertain whether her husband murdered her, whether it was tuberculosis. And Marriage Portrait makes a specific argument, also based on the Robert Browning poem. So it, it does the same thing. And I think Maggie O'Farrell does wonderfully at giving historical women agency and complications. And I love the way she writes about them. I'm so keen to read this book. I think the way Maggie O'Farrell writes about historical figures is interesting because she seems to pick figures that people don't know a huge amount about, but at the same time, a larger milieu for them that is very familiar. And I think the contrast between both of those are really interesting. That and she writes very internal. Yes. So it's always about getting to know a character in a particular mm. way. And like you said about um, Henry, I don't know if I can think of Shakespeare or even Anne Hathaway anymore that is not informed by how Maggie O'Farrell wrote them. I refuse to. I, I think that the actual phrase I told you, I'm not sure if it's on air or not, was that if there's a different version of their marriage, I don't care. <laughs> this is the version that exists for me now. So speaking of royals, um, actually, my recommendation, uh, which comes from an Indian writer, it's by Timari N. Murari, and the book is called uh, Taj, A Story of Mughal India. It's not a very new book, but it's probably one of the earliest examples of historical fiction that I read that was set not in the West. Um, and for that reason, I think I always remember it. And it's, it's also about... Um, uh, I suppose, a, a period in history, and in this case, a monument, the Taj Mahal, that I've always been fascinated by. So it's about the Mughals, and specifically, it's about the period in Shah Jahan's life when his wife has just died, and so he's started the building of the Taj Mahal. And 
it's a beautiful book. It's also, I didn't realise until I started reading, very erotic, very sensual in the way it talks about their relationship and what life in court is like. And it contrasts flashbacks to their relationship, uh, Mumtaz Mahal and Shah Jahan's relationship, with the story of a builder, a humble builder who's working on the Taj Mahal. So the structure is very interesting. I realised later that the book was also quite controversial because people didn't appreciate the decadence and and perhaps even the hedonism of Mm. the way in which the court was described. Which brings me to, I suppose, a question that's related to this. How much reality or respect do we ask for when fiction takes on real people or real characters? Well, uh, so I I land here on George R. R. Martin and Margaret Atwood, right? Two people who don't necessarily write about historical figures explicitly, but who have always maintained that everything within their books, not everything, maybe with uh, George R. R. Martin, that's a real stretch, but um, (laughs) that at least some of what's in their books is based on stuff that happened in history. These are based on, you know, in Game of Thrones' case, The War of the Roses, um, in Margaret Atwood's case of Handmaid's Tale, just any number of horrible things that have happened to women over the, the centuries. And so when I think about that, I wonder what we mean when we talk about respect. And whether or not maintaining that distance from history, whether trying to say that history was cleaner than it was or safer than it was or more sanitized than it was, um, sometimes results in us being unable to think of history as real. Yes, and history is relatable. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you were a wealthy person in court who held a high status and could, in fact, you know, live however you wanted to, would hedonism play no role at all? No, this is exactly it. And I guess that's the other part of it. I feel books like these break that fence or that weird sense of respect that we are told we should have because for past then, historical figures. Because then they're not real people. Yes. We don't feel like they're real. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, so I, I agree. I do think, though, that books can do this a little easier than film because there's a way that books can complicate things and fiction in a way feels, quote unquote, I'm going to sound rather basic, but I think what I mean is a movie sometimes seems more real, like it's pretending to be more real than a book which can sort of sit in a very in-between space. Yeah, because you're imagining things, right? And so there is absolutely that. I will just add on, though, that when we talk about hedonism or when we talk about controversies when it comes to historical figures, I do prefer more research than less. So, um, Because I think the research gives you the chops to fictionalize things. Yes, to fictionalize or to extend. Um, so if we're talking about what we're discussing, this idea of hedonism or of making um, historical figures less perfect or uh, less noble in some cases than we'd like, then it needs to be backed up by research. I, for me personally. Can I just say as a contrast, just to close off on the side of things because we're talking about royal figures, the Queen in Roald Dahl's BFG I don't think that required any research, nor does it actually (laughs) offer realism. But honestly, I think that did more for her PR and her image with so many people. It's BFG and then the Olympics. Those are the two peaks. I know, right? Actually, so when she passed, I remember so many people sharing um, Quentin Blake's illustration of her having... Uh, breakfast yeah. with BFG and Sophie. And I remember as a kid reading her in that book and going, her magister is amazing. Yeah, she's wonderful. She understands these farty people. <laughs> <laughs> We're 
talking about uh, real people or historical figures that pop up in fiction. Share with us your favourites. Is this something that you like to read about? You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio, write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. Be firmly motivated. BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're listening to Buy the Book with Sharmila and Lynn. And we are talking about novels, fiction that takes on people who really existed, whether historical figures, uh, notable people from the past. Uh, And we're sharing some of our favourites as well as discussing around the topic and bringing up, I suppose, things we like, things we don't like, things that work and so on. So earlier we had a number of titles that have come up. So I talked about how I enjoyed Taj, A Story of Mughal India by Timuri and Murari. Uh, and Lynn, your titles were? Well, uh, Hilary Mantel's Wolf Hall trilogy, you can look that up, and Maggie O'Farrell's Hamnet and the Marriage Portrait. So I think at this point, it might be helpful to bring up uh, one genre which probably does this really well, right? The fictionalized biography is what I'm going to call it. Um, because a couple of the ones that I've always enjoyed, which are both graphic novels in this case, uh, one is Daughter of Her Father's Eyes by Mary M. Talbot. Um, and the other one is Hellraisers by Jake and Robert Sellers. And they both do this. I, I actually love graphic novels that take on some sort of fictionalized version of reality because I think the the artistic medium does such a good job in literally creating a world. So Daughter of Her Father's Eyes actually contrasts the story of James Joyce and his very fraught relationship with his daughter, Lucia, who struggled with mental illness, with the author of the book, Mary Talbot's own relationship with her father. And I would highly, highly recommend it. It's such a good read. It's also about the patriarchy, about women, um, about expectations and fraught father-daughter relationships. It sounds beautiful. I wanted to know whether it was sad. It is sad. It is sad. But um, I think because it is essentially a forward-looking book through the link to the present, um, it ends up leaving you hopeful um, more than bereft. I love the fact that you're bringing up graphic novels and the like because, I don't know, um, I don't have a lot of experience reading this form, even though I know that there are many. You've read From Hell. I've well, <laughs> well. I mean that that relates to a separate conversation that I plan to bring up. Um, I've read From Hell and uh, my friend Dharma. I I own some Guy Delisle's that I have not actually read, and I don't think that qualifies for this category of what we're talking about anyway. Um, but nevertheless, I love the idea of it partly because we go back to the Henry thing. Everybody knows what these people look like, or if you're interested in them, you do. And so there's something about what a graphic novel offers that maybe just reading about them doesn't. So the everybody knows what these people looks like is so key to the other title I was talking about, which is Hellraisers, which is a semi-fictional story of um, what they call the four greatest boozers of all time. <laughs> uh, Richard Burton, Richard Harris, Peter O'Toole and Oliver Reed. But what's interesting, Lord, uh, it's amazing. They I love really it. were. They and really were the Hellraisers. Imagine the art though, mm. because they bring these actors to life through art that both looks like them, but it's also caricaturish. And it's contrasted through the story of a guy in present day who is a wannabe hellraiser um, who struggles with alcoholism and views these men from the past as almost like icons and role models. And eventually, even though it's a sort of rollicking tale of binging and parties in Hollywood, it also becomes a sad tale of how this lifestyle impacted them and their personal lives. I would recommend it. There's a theme here with you. 
I know, right? Actually, yeah. I didn't realize I had picked these two that were very similar. Mm. Um, except that when I sit down and think about it, there's this contrast of the reality of the past um, and our romanticizing of it and then breaking down how that impacts us in the present. I mean, it feels like this. these recommendations are just for me because I it, that hits a sweet spot. It's not exactly golden Hollywood, right? This is more like uh, London theatre. But for somebody who enjoys um, stories of this particular age of actors and their shenanigans is a soft word for what they did. Very soft. Yeah. If you read and then oh, they are visualised so beautifully in the book. So this is the thing. Um, when you listed the men, Richard Burton, Richard Harris, Peter O'Toole and Oliver Reed, is yes, that right? Yes, that's right. I can see all four of them. I can faces see their being faces. punched, blood splattering, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that's very exciting. Um, I also have a theme, but it's a worse one. So um, <laughs> my, my theme is assassinated American presidents because the two that came to mind, and they weren't related. I didn't recognize that I, I'd gone from one to the other. Actually, they're just two books that I really love. One is Lincoln in the Bardo by George Saunders, which I've spoken about before. Um, I find George Saunders an incredibly exciting writer. I, I enjoy everything that he does. And Lincoln in the Bardo in particular is the blend of the real life loss of um, Abraham Lincoln's son, Willie, alongside the concepts of Tibetan Buddhism. <laughs> so, and, and the, the concept of, of an afterlife and of witnessing a son calling for his father and a father grieving. And again, I guess the theme for me, aside from assassinations, is I enjoy being able to think about historical figures through intimate moments, uh, through understanding where they were at at their worst or most challenging, or even just in their daily life. Just, you know, something that is about how they, they lived. Your theme, truly, seems to actually be loss. I suppose. Like historical <laughs> figures and, and the sort of very fraught grief that many of them dealt with. Um, grief, but then also, it's not just about grief, right? It's also about regrouping, yes. I think, in some ways. Yeah, and, and working through that. In connection to Lincoln and the Bardo is actually a shared title that both of us wanted to talk about, which, with respect to the American Convention of Dates, which I just hate, um, <laughs> is eleven twenty two sixty three by Stephen King. So this book I love. Um, firstly, we've both been unabashedly honest about how much we both love Stephen King. But I also particularly enjoy it when Stephen King deviates from his horror roots. Um, and this one, this idea of someone wanting to travel back in time to prevent the assassination of JFK as a way of shaping the course of history is so clever and so simple. And then in the execution of the book, it becomes about not really about John F. Kennedy at all, and in fact, much more about the traveller. So, um, about that, right, when we were discussing uh, this earlier, I think that we, we referenced, but we didn't get to, the fact that a lot of huge historical figures, the ones that really loom large in popular imagination, uh, JFK, for instance, are very often tangential figures in the books that are kind of about them, in the sense that they almost serve as themes and moods more than they serve yes. as actual characters. Or mirrors sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And um, and you see this happening in a lot of books, um, you know, of course, about world leaders in particular. Uh, you see it happening also, whether, I guess for obvious reasons, about a lot of dictators. Um, in fact, we started the show talking about Mali Almeida. And in that, the reference to the 
the dictator or the major or whoever are very oblique in nature, leaving a, a gap for you to fill in. And JFK in 11-22-63 is also not really someone we get to know as a person. He's just someone who, he's the, what's the word for it? He's the linchpin upon which the story yeah. rests, but he isn't developed in any particular way. And I think that's very clever because JFK, again, like King Henry, is endlessly fictionalized. And I don't know whether there's a lot of value in us learning about him as a person, particularly not to this story. Did you have um, another recommendation you want to bring up before I drag us down a dark path? Well, only uh, one more. And I think because I wanted to bring up something local, uh, I think Once We Were There by Bernice Chorley is one of the few books we have in local literature that fictionalizes the Reformasi period. And because of that, I think it's if you're into this sort of genre, if you enjoy reading about history interspersed with fiction, and if you want something local, all the familiar names pop up, whether it's Dr. Mahathir or Anwar Ibrahim. Uh, it also captures a certain very middle to upper class urban sense of kale in that period. Uh, very interesting. Uh, not always successful, but um, I think... Uh, not many books do this with local figures. So as a point of interest, I think it's definitely worth reading. Okay, dark time. So um, <laughs> you mentioned earlier that JFK isn't necessarily someone that we get to know a lot about. But of course, the person on the grassy knoll is the other linchpin of 11-22-63, and that's Lee Harvey Oswald. And that brings me to how do we feel about historical figures being, uh, I guess to put it simply, bad men, bad guys, bad people? Um, because... When I think about people that tend to hold a, an eternal allure for many novelists and uh, short story writers, writers of any ilk, serial killers come up an awful lot. Uh, Hitler comes up an awful lot. People keep returning over and over again. And I understand why. From a storytelling point of view, it's interesting to try and get at what you consider a, uh, a heart of darkness or what you consider someone that's truly evil and, and try and explore that. I, I do wonder, though, what it means for us as readers that we also have that fascination. No, I get what you mean. Um, I will admit that it can be extremely interesting to read. Hitler is a great example. Uh, serial killers, honestly, um, have been such fodder for so much fiction. I'm not going to sit on my high horse and say, I don't find it interesting. Some writers have done very good jobs. I went through a serial killer phase. Yeah. I think many people do. But I do think that when a writer takes it on, there is perhaps an added responsibility to make sure that they're not doing it just for the shock value, to make sure that they're actually trying to add something new and valuable to the conversation. Because otherwise... Aren't you just feeding the masses? Yeah, so I I find it tricky because I think the line between um, prurience and sensationalism and, you know, trying to find an, an authentic story or trying to mine what is a very interesting seam for something worth telling, I find it very hard to balance because, again, like you, if there's a good book by a writer I find interesting or respect, um, by a figure that is interesting. Um, I still read the articles. I would read the, the short stories. I would read the novel. Um, but increasingly, I find myself, um, I guess, thinking 
more carefully about it or about why I, why I might choose to. I think I feel more strongly about the the serial killer, famous murderers, famous criminals yeah. than I do about, say, a, a historical figure that had a long-ranging uh, impact on, on so many things. So, for instance, you can't avoid writing about Hitler or Goebbels if you were doing a World War II story. It, it would be insane, yeah. actually. There, there would be no point in it. But yeah. choosing to continuously fictionalise uh, someone who murdered many people or who performed violent crimes, clearly because it's, there's a sort of shock value in reading it. To me, I think that requires a little bit more thought. Yeah, I, I agree. I just wanted to uh, throw it out there as part, of my, as part of my very strange little detour in today's show. Well, hopefully our footnotes will uh, take on a slightly more upbeat tone. But we have been talking about historical figures, real people, uh, as utilised in fiction or in novels. Let us know what are your favourites. Is this even something you enjoy? You can WhatsApp us, 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio, write to us at bythebook at bfm.my. to footnotes uh, as we said something a little bit more upbeat today is Valentine's Day after all and so we thought we'd close off this conversation by talking about um, a little trend a little micro trend that we've noticed which is the conflating of a love of books with things like speed dating or networking events well there is a larger question to be had here about whether or not you need to whether or not having the same taste in books um, is a prerequisite for dating somebody. There's also the question of whether readers need to date readers or non-readers, what you know, what have you. But to return to the point, um, I think it's really cute. I, I do think uh, somehow it feels to me, I've never done it, it feels very vulnerable. Like, you know, um, hats off to the people who put themselves out there like that. But there is something about not just going for an event, but then bringing a book with you, like a piece of your house in your heart. It's a lot. So I've seen versions of this, right? And so I, it might depend which version works the best for you. Um, one that I've seen promoted locally involves each person bringing a book that is dear to them in a particular way. See what I mean? Yeah. And then having to stand up and talk about it for a while. See what I mean? And then talking <laughs> to each other based on mutual interests or if you want to read the other person's book. Then there are versions that I've read about where you go to a bookstore and they prepare a series of different books based on, I suppose, genre and whatever, and you gravitate towards titles that you enjoy. And therefore, then you end up in a sort of little cluster of folks who all have similar tastes. Well, I, I guess that one is more like everybody knows that everyone's there to meet somebody and therefore it makes it easier to talk. Yes, and right? ultimately... At the very least, you go home with a book you might like. Yes, yes. Yeah. And you have a starting point for what yes. to talk about, which I, I I think is the point of many of these events. And then there's the straight up speed dating where you just go in with a book each and then you do the round robin of like moving in a circle of people. And then at each point, you talk to them about why you like the book. So then it's a conversation starter. This is a book I brought. Why did you bring that book? I'm not that one. 
feels like it could be hit and miss because I don't know if you sat down with like, this is my YA fantasy of like a dystopian whatever. And then the other person's like, this is my biography of the best this business is Moby in Dick. the world. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm not sure that. But then again, at least you know, you probably aren't ever going to read the same book. Correct. Does it mean that you can't date? Yes. Or that you might not hit it off? You could laugh about it. I will say that if people don't show up with, if at least one person doesn't show up with a rose in between book covers, then what is life? (laughs) Like, does anybody care anymore about how things are supposed to be? So to close off with the point that you made at the start of the conversation, do readers have to date readers, readers, you think? I don't think so. Yeah. I I don't think so. I I think that uh, we've talked about this before, that Reading is as social an activity as you want to make it, but ultimately it is a private one. Most people do it for themselves and I don't think you necessarily need your life partner to participate in that. I agree. I think that the only point that could work in finding someone, a partner, um, whether permanent or temporary, is that I think people who like reading are people who enjoy stories and words. And if that's something that's important to you, then it's worth looking for people who maybe they don't have to be readers, but who also have an imagination, a curiosity. And I think things like that work more than just a straight up, I read, do you? Otherwise, I'm not dating you. 100%. I think reading is just a shorthand, right? To, yes. to identifying that. But even then, um, as we've established time and time again on this show in particular, not everybody reads the same stuff. And so um, if you're an avid fiction reader and the person that you are interested in is an avid non-fiction reader, it still doesn't mean that you're going to get the same sorts of reading conversations going. So yeah, I return to my point. Well, Lynn did manage to bring our upbeat conversation down just a little bit. I think that's appropriate for Valentine's Day. This is true. Let us know. Are you a fan of speed dating events or, or networking events that involve books? And is it important to you to date a reader? You can WhatsApp us, 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.